Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Female Driven Podcast. We are three film and television writers who are here to talk about how to make it as professional writers in the entertainment industry. This podcast covers what we wish we'd known when we were getting started so that you can learn the easy way what we learn the hard way. I'm Hannah Rosner. I mostly write for television. I'm Erica Schreiber. I mostly write features. And I'm Jess Chow. I write TV. That's my... Hi, Jess. <laughs> you sound very different again this week. <laughs> First, she was Australian. Now she's a valley girl. It's all very, very Jess. Yeah, Jess is not with us again today, unfortunately. But we do have a super exciting guest. This is America Young. Hi. How's it going? America is a wonderful friend of mine and a great person and an awesome director. And uh, she and I worked together on Legacies a couple years ago and we became yep. fast friends. We yep. did some vintage clothes shopping. We yep. uh, did some prep meetings together and uh-huh. she's fabulous. And so I was really excited to ask her to be a guest on our podcast today and talk about all things directing for TV. It's nice when a fabulous person calls you fabulous. It feels like a nice full circle. Um, but all those things are true. We hit it off almost immediately and went shopping, vintage shopping. I still wear that dress all the time. And I'm so happy to be here. So to be clear, you met because America, you directed an episode of Legacies? Yes, that is right. It was not an episode I wrote, but we actually met season two. So you directed the one right before mine. And so you were in prep when I was in production. That's right. I think you covered some of the prep meetings. And so you were with me on the prep meetings and and then we went out that weekend. Yeah, super fun. It was fun. That was a cool place. Well, America, for those of us who aren't Hannah and don't already know you, uh, (laughs) can you just kind of (laughs) give us your origin story, a little bit about your background? And and I happen to know that you're a director, but you also do some other very cool stuff. And if you want to just give us the kind of like elevator pitch or background or whatever, that would be amazing. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I moved around a ton as a kid, you know, keeping one step ahead of the law. You know how it is. And then I almost went to med school. My dad talked me out of it. My mom wasn't thrilled, but now she is. And then I got into stunts and I was doing a bunch of stunt work and that became stunt coordinating, which then became directing. But I've done pretty much everything there is to be done on a set because I did a lot of indie stuff. I didn't do it well. Uh, but I learned a ton. <laughs> and um, I did find that I really love directing. And this it's, it's my happy place. Wait, can you tell us about how you got into stunts and what that was like? Yes, please. please. <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually wasn't a particularly athletic kid. I, I read a lot of books and I didn't really like doing sports. But when I moved to LA, I decided to take martial arts for self-defense that I loved because when you're doing like a form or a kata, like if you think about anything else, you will fall over. So it's like the best meditation. But also I just loved being able to you know beat people up the guy I train under I met on uh, on Cobra Kai and when I met with them I was like look here's the deal I was trained by real life crease wow. I, I, I am oh actually God, amazing I am actually probably Cobra Kai in reality and Johnny was robbed he's clearly the far superior fighter uh Daniel should not have won um and so they were like you need it was to an illegal move it was such an illegal move but also he can't he couldn't move like he wasn't athletic and Johnny was phenomenal martial artist and you watch the fights and you're like how on earth <laughs> Well, luckily, Cobra Kai is making some amends on this. Yes, yeah. Cobra, Cobra Kai is fixing a lot of stuff. But so I started trading with that guy and he was intense. Like if you're if you were late, you got caned for every minute you were late with like a, this bamboo stick and you get in push up position and he'd hit you in the back. And oh, my um, God, I'm sorry. What? 
So anyway, I trained under him and um, became a really good martial artist. (laughs) Um, A friend of mine had asked me to audition for a touring stunt show for Tomb Raider that was going to promote them films and it was going to all the Paramount Parks. And so at first I said no, because I was like, ah, it's not what I know. And he, so we, but he convinced me to audition for it. And I was really glad ultimately that I did. And then I got trained and all this other stunt stuff. So I got this crash course on like high falls and slide for life and, and, um, air ram. What's and a slide for life? A slide for life is, uh, when you get like, zi- it's like a zip line basically. And you like, I would zip line in over the audience and then rappel down. That was the entrance. That was Tomb Raider's entrance. And a funny side note, I learned all the fight stuff and all the stunt stuff. And then they gave me the prosthetic boobs because, <laughs> oh, no. because Tomb Raider, best version of her had massive massive boobs these knockers that were so big you couldn't see your feet so then I had so and then they were like silicone you know so that they like moved appropriately so like I had to relearn all of these things like I had to relearn how to do a high fall and slide for life and the the air ram because it threw off my weight so much wow. because they, yeah. they, they, were, they were so big and heavy um, and all the fights, the fights all had to be retooled too, because the fights were done with the idea of like, oh, oh you're going to do like a near miss kick to the, the chest and I'm going to block it. Well, no, my boobs were blocking it. So, <laughs> this is giving me weird flashbacks to when I was 14 and had no boobs and then 15 and had all the boobs. Yes. And like, that, you have to relearn things. That's exactly it's kind of what traumatizing. It, that's exactly <laughs> what it was like. Just from that, then it's just that kind of segued into uh, stunt stuff because I really loved it. And I just I just kept pursuing it. That's very cool. So stunt stuff led to more set stuff, which led to directing. Led to stunt coordinating. So stunt coordinating, you're basically the the stunt producer in a lot of ways. So you're the one who's pulling together everything that needs to be done to successfully and safely pull off a stunt. If it's a wire get gag, you figure out, you plan the wire gag, you bring in the people who know how to um, do the rigging and and plan it all out and rehearse it and um, figure out and make sure you're executing what the director wants. But also on top of that, especially when you're dealing with a lot of uh, fight sequences, you're also shooting a lot of pre-visualization to show the directors to sign off on the fighting. So that actually ends up being really great experience in terms of having to film it. Um, and a lot of a lot of uh, stunt guys I know are amazing at visualizing it, at, at executing it, at the, the uh, camera op of it all, the editing of it, like they're one man bands of it. And then you get to work with a whole myriad of directors uh, and learn a ton, mainly what not to do. Well, can you tell us about how you made that? Like, how did you officially make that move? Like, what was your first directing gig and how did that come about? My first directing gig was for a web series that I was shooting out of my garage that I was kind of producing and I guess co-writing with someone. And I had hired a director and found out that um, it just said director on their business card, but they actually didn't know what they were doing. So I ended up stepping in um, because I had hired someone else to direct because I would never say that I was a director unless I had had like a hundred hours of experience under my belt. But at that point I had done, you know, I've been on so many sets and I, I knew more than I realized I knew and more than I gave myself permission to know even. And so um, I just ended up stepping in and saying, oh, uh, shouldn't we get the other person's side of this on camera? <laughs> you know, like just basic stuff. <laughs> 
again, going back to things that you learned that you should do, it turns out shooting both sides is on that list. Both people in the conversation maybe should be on camera um, at some point, unless that's a creative choice, which it wasn't. It was just, you know. So then that was, I guess, my first official time, although it wasn't really official. I just kind of did it to fill the holes. And so then the next thing was, is a friend of mine who was a musician asked me to direct her music video. And I was terrified because I grew up without a television and had never really watched music videos. But I loved her and I it was for me, it was worth the, the, the challenge of it. And I was completely honest with her about where my insecurities laid in that. And uh, I'm really happy with how it turned out, especially because it was the first thing I'd ever directed. But that that was the first time it was official. I was in, you know, the chair was mine, even though it was such a low budget, there was no chair. Oh, it was great. And it and it and it changed my life. Her name is Faye. And it, it definitely changed my life because then it was like, OK, yeah, yeah, this is where I want to be. This is it. Then I just started making as much shit as I possibly could because the thing that I found is that men get hired on potential and women get hired on uh, accomplishment. No one's giving out those accomplishments to women specifically and so I just needed to make my own stuff. So I just I just kept making things and learned a lot. There's a lot of stuff that will never see the light of day that I will never show another person ever. I learned so much from it and um, I just kept making stuff and then here I am. It worked out. And you did the Warner Brothers directing workshop, right? Yes, that was amazing. 2019, they have it for writers, they have it for directors. I can't recommend it highly enough. It was it was absolutely a, a game game changer for me. What was the application process like for that? I feel like applications are happening right this very second, actually. It's not too hard. Uh, I don't know how many people apply, but in terms of what you have to turn in, you have to turn in a sample of work that was done in the last couple of years. It has to have been in um, one of the film festivals that they have listed as qualify- qualifying film festivals. Um, and then two letters of recommendation and like a mission statement, a personal statement for yourself. So the application is actually not too tricky. And then there's an interview process if you make it to the interview round. And then what, what they do, which is amazing, and that other programs are now starting to do because of what they've done was so brilliant is that they guarantee you an episode of television. They team up with the showrunners of shows and the showrunners help with the selection process. And then you're guaranteed an episode. And it's that first episode. That's the real fucker. What was your first episode? My first episode was Blind Spot. I actually ended oh, up with yeah. two. By the time I got through the program, I actually ended up with two episodes. I had Blind Spot and then Legacies, which is where I met you. Woohoo! Look at you guys getting your lives changed by Warner Brothers Fellowships. I love it. I know. I know. Because you did, you did it, right, Hannah? Yeah, we just did an episode about fellowships, but they're focused on the writing programs and the directing workshop is excellent. Also, I know quite a few directors who have directed on legacies and other shows and other friends I know that have come out of the program. So it's awesome. So that's how you got, I guess, your first uh, directing gig, right, was out of the program. And then what was it like sort of once you were out of the program and and on your own and, um, you know, moving out into the world on your own? Like, did you have you've representation like how does it how does it work that directors get jobs because I know how it works for writers I had an agent going in and before I had gone in I had directed um, a feature that was executive produced by Stan Lee and then I had directed a uh, a season of an animated mocap show for Mattel and so I had an agent beforehand who I love and he's always been um, almost more of a manager than an agent in terms of how supportive he is and he's not so worried about the bottom line as much as just making sure it's the career, you know, that I want. It's a really rare thing. Well, maybe it's not. I hope it's not rare. It, it has been rare in my experience. I hope it's not rare, but it's not, 
always, you know? It's, yeah, I don't know that it's common. But in terms of getting work, it's so, it's such a weird thing because I don't know. It, it's different for every single thing. So specifically for television, word of mouth is very helpful. Showrunners um, and other writers and stuff will, will vouch for you for other things. Um, for example, Hannah wrote a letter of recommendation for me, which helped me secure um, my, my pilot that I got to direct for Apple last year. The biggest thing that I can ever say, and I think this applies to everybody, and I know this isn't a new revelation, but just don't be a dick, guys. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's really easy to just be friends. Just don't be a dick. Like, be good at your job. That's important. That I mean, I think that goes without saying. But like, respect the people around you. Know how hard they're working. Know, g- give everyone the benefit of the doubt that they're busting their ass to do their job as well as they possibly can. And and just treat people with respect. Because th- you want to continue to have these people in your lives. You want to build those relationships and keep just keep working together and keep collaborating with people you like. Absolutely. hundred percent. Hang on to the good ones. Because you're going to war together. Every time you go into production, you're going, it's, it's a goddamn battle. Yeah. And- <laughs> you're in the trenches. You are really yeah. in the trenches together. Like you better like those people you're living in the trenches with. Yeah. Why would you be fighting in the person next to, like, I was just at the park with my kid this morning and I ran into somebody from a show I had worked on and we were just talking about how, how crappy that show was. But the people that we got to work with was so good. It's the only thing that made it doable. Yeah. I think we all have those projects of like, we ser- like when you survive bad network, bad studio, whatever it is together, you are bonded for life. For life. And so speaking of um, working with people that you hopefully like, just in terms of collaborating, I guess that's a good way to segue into um, from your perspective as a director, what's it like working with writers on set? And I know that's not always the case, like not every show sends their writers to set, but I know on a lot of network shows and particularly legacies, you know, we send writers to set, which is such an amazing experience to get to work with the directors and collaborate. What, from your point of view, is something that, you know, you wish, I guess, writers knew going to set or even just writing scripts and like taking things into consideration as far as prepping a script for production? You know, what are some of the things that uh, I guess can become either problematic or can be helpful when you're taking a script from the page to blocking to shooting? I actually love having the writer on set. Um, Working on television, it's the first time I've had that because when I've worked on my other projects, they haven't had the writer there. I love the collaboration of it. I love having someone on set who knows the material a hundred times better than I do because there's a whole world that I don't know. I mean, something like Legacies, I actually am a huge fan of the show and I watch the show, but I don't know where it's headed. And and having a writer on set that can tell me the implication and the subtext of the seeds we're planting now that will pay off in seven episodes is amazing. Having a writer on set who has lived with the script for months, who knows exactly why it was broken the way it was broken and can give me insight to characters is so unbelievably helpful. So, so I, and I love a collaboration. I, I'm not, I'm not threatened by other people's ideas. I feel like that only helps elevate the content and all I really care about is the content. I don't really care about anything else. Um, so, so in that way, I, I love it. Um, one of the things that gets trickier now, especially because we're getting into streamers is that the scripts are bloated. The scripts are overwritten because a lot of shows that are going into streamers are overwritten because they don't have to abide by the normal commercial breaks and the a really tight um, timeline. And so that makes it really hard because they're not increasing the days of shooting. Or you're working on a TV show that overwrites because they haven't quite committed to where they want to go. And you already know 15 minutes of it's going to end up on the, the cutting room floor. 
that's kind of heartbreaking because you're like, I'm spending two hours to shoot a scene that I'm pretty sure won't end up in the edit, but then I couldn't spend these two hours on a scene that I really would have liked to have spent that time on. So that's that's the one struggle sometimes is not every show is as, a, is as tight on their scripts as Legacies is. So it is that's sometimes a challenge when you're when you're talking. But but I have been lucky in the fact that the writers that I have gotten to work with and the different projects that I've worked with both in television and in the movies and in the animated things and even the video games that I oh I just wrapped on a video game. I don't know if I told you guys that. But that oh, that's, was, awesome. that's awesome. That was super cool. I directed the cinematics for it. As long as as long as you could have that conversation with the writer, I think that's the most important thing. I, as long as the writer is able to see. And hopefully somebody's coming from it from the same place I'm coming from. But for the for the strength of the project, we need to discuss whether this scene serves a purpose. We'll end up on the editing room floor. Or if it's so important, where else can we make the cuts so that we're not pulling ourselves so thin so that we can really enjoy, really shoot the best possible version of this? I think this is so helpful for up and coming writers to hear because I think, you know, from our perspective, like a scene being a page or being the two pages as long as it's not making our script too long, you know, we're like, what's kind of the difference? I like this scene. But like, you really can just like that, that specific thing of like, you know, your director is going to have to spend time on a scene that is, you know, that could be shorter and that time could be spent somewhere else to much better use. And that's just something that we don't, it's not something that like, you know, if you're writing a spec, you totally want to focus on, but it is something really good to have in the back of your mind. And it's something that as a feature writer that I don't think about probably as much as a TV writer on a show. I think the idea of like, when you're done with a script, read it as if you were the director. And if you have something in there that you're like, there's a very good chance this ends up on the cutting room floor, then really think about whether you need that. Because if you have a scene that's really important, that has a lot of information that you need, that has an emotional thing that has, and you have to take away from that scene to shoot this other thing, just knowing, just knowing and having a priority of it is, I think, very important. The The other thing is, is that there's no math in this industry and anybody who tells you otherwise is lying. But one of the things that you can also do when you look at a scene is, and, and Hannah, especially because you're so much on the producing side as well as a writer on television, is that two people sitting in a room talking, that will take no time. And we're looking, let's say it's, let's, let's look at it like a, uh, with a control group, right? Of like a page long scene, right? So the scene is a page long, two people sitting in a room talking one page that takes no time. You can shoot that in like an hour and, and you could, you could get a lot of info in there and you can, you know, you, you have the time to really play with it because it's just, no, there's nothing to do there. Right. Another page scene where you have three people in a scene and they're doing a walk and talk. That's going to take a different amount of time. Another one-page scene where you have six people in a scene, there's a stunt, there's three visual effects, and none of them are human, so they all walk in different paces. That's going to be something else. So it's not even it's not even the page count. It's not even how many uh, slug lines are in there. It's it's the complexity of the scene and how long it would take. Because you can, you can have an eighth of a page long scene that will take you eight hours to shoot. You know, and what what is that thing that they said from um, Gone with the Wind and then Atlanta Burns? Yeah. And that took them a week to shoot right. just that one, that one phrase and then Atlanta Burns. So, so that's the other thing is, is that like just being open to the, the pivots of like, okay, I, I know there's a reason this scene exists. I trust that as a writer who is a professional, you put the scene in because it's very important and it serves a purpose. Let's distill it down to what purpose that serves so we can figure out a way that we can shoot this and still make our days and still spend time on other scenes um, that, that also need this time. 
does all six people have to be in this scene or can it just be two? If all six people are in the scene, do I have to get coverage of all six of these people or can I just get the coverage on the two people talking? So that's the main thing is that not all directors are good at collaborating (laughs) and not all directors are good at bringing up these issues in a way that doesn't feel like a direct attack. And I've seen it. I've seen where the director has the best intentions and they're right in which they're asking for, but the way they do it is disparaging and feels like an attack. So I, I guess the advice to that I would say to a writer is if there's any possible way to see past the way they're delivering the information and just try to see the value in the information that they're giving, because then you end up with the better product of your script and you end up winning, even though you might be being talked to in not a respectful way that you don't deserve. That's the kind of thick skin I can get behind as opposed to like, let me throw you know scripts at your head. Uh, no, being able to hear the note behind the note from someone who doesn't necessarily know how to deliver it the way you need to hear it. That's really helpful. Yeah. I don't know if you actually direct features ever or anything like that, but it doesn't have to be just for features. But like from the perspective of writers who are writing scripts that are looking to catch the interest of a director, right? Something that you just, you're, you know, you got, you sit down, your agent or someone has sent you this script and you sit down to read it. What are the things that make you really connect with the script, really excited about it, make you read it and say, I want to direct this from someone you've never met, from someone you don't know, you know, like just a, a submission. You know, what's interesting is that, I mean, I, I think I think that's pretty personal in terms of like what you like, right? When you get to that point, especially with a feature, because a feature you're going to be living with that for quite some time. I love humor. I love um, whimsy. I don't know. I, it's it's interesting. I've, I've been reading a bunch of scripts lately, and this is a complete side note. But Erica, since you're doing the feature route, like, are, are your are your reps rep- telling you to like mess with the format? Because I'm reading so many scripts right now where they're changing like hu- huge font changes, and they're p- inserting pictures inside of it, and they're like, it's it's a completely different thing. And I don't know whether it's just a way of like keeping people with short attention span. I will say. It's really funny. I'm going out with the script right now. It has a couple small font things like, you know, like when the title pops up, I like picked a font that was very representative of the tone of the movie. And the director who's attached, she had some art created, just like two things, like the cover page and like an insert page. And we went back and forth on the insert page. The cover page was easy. Like, you know, cover page can have a fun thing on it. That's not a big deal. But like, we're like, is this going to interrupt the read? And we went back and forth and we decided on, you know, this is in line with the, it's a, it's a script with a lot of like personality, right? But in general, first of all, no one is telling me to do that. <laughs> uh, I just really love fonts, but it's like very small things. I certainly am not writing pages in a different font. I certainly would, if I got that from a, someone who asked me to read a script, I would be like, what are you doing? My understanding is it's become a little more acceptable as technology gets, you know, like that these are things you can do, that it's okay to do them a little bit. Um, I think I heard of someone who put in like a map in a fantasy script, you know, the way that when you open a fantasy book. And that makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. No, people should not be going crazy with the formatting. They should be using final draft font or whatever. It's one thing if it's a, if it's punctuation, it's another if it's the script. There was a point in which like somebody slammed against the door and it was like, wham! And they like put the wham. It must have been in like 30 point font. Oh, wow. That seems like leftover. The uh, the Quiet Place script. 
is like that. Did that? Oh, okay. I wonder if that's yeah. where they, I wonder if that's, I like, grabbed it. But then John Carpenter and they live, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there's like this fight that goes on for like 10 minutes, right? And it, and in his script, he just wrote, and then they fight, and then he left five pages blank in the script. <laughs> no way. I've never yeah. heard that. That's brilliant. I I love adventure. I love action. Um, but I I love it. I love it. Like there's a script that right now that that I'm currently in talks with that I love because it's an action piece. But there's like this really beautifully subtly woven in um, story point on a relationship between people of color and the cops. And it's it's the whole point of the action movie ultimately hinges on this one relationship that is the most unexpected relationship that really forces people outside their own prejudices within the movie. But it's pure action and pure fun. And um, you laugh out loud. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that I that I really like. And I, I, I honestly like there's this other script that I'm in talks with also. And I just had a meeting with the writer on Friday and I was like, maybe I mean, I know this isn't normal for features, but I'd love to have this person on set with me, you know, because because they have lived with the script for 10 years. Man, every screenwriter listening just died of happiness. Yeah. <laughs> they, if you have lived in this world for 10 years, the ideas and, and the, the relationships that you have created, you should be there and you should be able to weigh in on it. And my and my last feature, which is going to premiere at uh, Santa Fe Film Festival next week. I loved having my writer on set. I understand that it is important to have a singular vision in terms of workflow and in terms of of communication, but I don't think that that has to be done without collaboration. My favorite thing is, is like on my last Legacies episode, I worked with uh, Kim Nadombe. Shout out Kim. Kim was awesome. She was awesome. Like we would do a scene and then I would turn to her and be like thoughts and then she would make a suggestion and I'd be like, oh, it was so good. <laughs> yes. Yes. Let's do that. And I love that. I, I love, I love having that kind of collaboration in it. Um, in terms of like basic, I realize I don't think I ever actually answered Hannah's question. So I'm going to circle back. Like in terms of actual just relationships on set, not talking directly to the actors is is something that I know uh, bugs bugs a lot of people. Understanding how a scene is shot, I think is really important for uh, writers. Because when I've worked with some greener writers, they don't understand in general, you shoot the wide, you shoot one side of a scene, you shoot all the coverage on one side, then you flip around and you shoot all the coverage on the other side. And so I've worked with some writers who you shoot the wide and they'll be like, well, I really feel like we need to get a close up on this. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> no. that's kind of, we're that's, on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's coming. Yeah. I promise. I promise it's coming. <laughs> or or you're shooting the one side of the scene, and then they're like, "Well, what about the coverage on the other person?" And you're like, "Yes, I promise you, it's coming." That being said, having worked with the directors I've worked with, you don't know for sure it's coming. That was my first directing gig. Was me going, uh, "Are we going to shoot the other side of this?" So I I I understand. I understand the concern of it, but maybe waiting to know that, like, okay, they're turning around or they're about to turn around and they haven't shot this person's coverage, maybe pointed out to the director so that maybe the director oversaw it or maybe the director forgot about it. But just knowing the basic rhythm of a film set um, would be so important. So um, if you haven't ever been on a film set and you're going to be working on one, go go spend some time on one so you can see, okay, usually everything's different and nothing's, there's no math, right? There's never any math. But usually you start wide, you work your way in, you shoot one side of the room and then 
then you shoot the other side of the room. Knowing that that's a generalization of how films shoot or TV shoots, knowing that will save you a lot of anxiety on set of like, oh crap, they're missing something important, will help your relationship with the director because then the director won't be constantly like, nope, it's coming. I promise we're going to do it. And then and then it also, um, then it allows you to be watching out for things that are actual concerns. Like, they really botched the hell out of that line. Or I really, when I wrote it, I had this performance in mind. Could we talk about that? You know, that kind of stuff. That's really important. I have two tips for... Uh, from the writer's side, and I'm curious if if uh, this I'm correct about this, but so the things that you just said. So the first one being not talking to the actors, absolutely true. It's 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 just not a good look. Don't do it. It's um, disrespectful to to do it because it, you're leaving the director out. But what I have heard, if the actor comes to you, which often happens, is bring the director in. So if you're a writer on set, and then you know actor comes to you, what does this line mean? How should I? If it's what does this line mean? It's like that's you can answer that question because it's, but if it's like, okay, what's my intention here? You absolutely bring in the director because this is a performance question and and you're collaborating. And then the other thing, what you were just saying about like, how do I like, you know, are we going to get a close up here? Like we can, we should probably get their coverage. Like it seems obvious, but there have also been situations where you are a writer on set and you're like, oh, wait, we're moving on. What about the coverage? Or like, what about? And so in that instance, the script supervisor is your best friend because the script supervisor is the person you can you can kind of lean over and be like, um, it feels like they're ready to move to the next scene after this. But we're aren't we missing the coverage? That way you can actually find out because the script supervisor has the shot list. Is that usually right, um, America? They have the shot list. And so they know and they can sometimes they do sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So they're so that you're not like, okay, good. We're not going to move on because sometimes if they move on and you're like, oh, wait, we didn't get that. It's too late. Whatever. It's too late. So it is worth bringing up. But it's like just yeah, it's it's always worth bringing up. Here's the thing that I I do want to add to the caveat of what I'm saying. Know the basic rhythm of a set so that you can flag when something is wrong. Absolutely, you should be able to do that. Um, going to the script supervisor is usually a great idea, like, like, like Hannah just said. So before you uh, uh, talk to the director, I don't mind. I, pref- I, I prefer somebody flag something that I already have handled than someone not flag something and then I dropped the ball because that person didn't flag it. I always prefer people second-guessing me, as weird as that sounds. I always prefer it because then I know we're covered for sure and, and there's more heads involved. So, But going to the script supervisor first to see if it sounds like they're, they're going on. Um, I have a shot list. I usually, let me see, I share, I usually some, I sometimes share it with this, the script supervisor and my first AD and my DP, but I don't usually share it with other people unless they ask me for it. Here's the difference. And I know you guys talk about this a lot because it's so different being a writer on television versus being a writer in a movie. And television, you are, even if your title is, doesn't reflect it yet, you are a producer on the show. You are responsible for what gets delivered. And yes, it's, technically under the director's purview, but ultimately it's the writer who has to live with the ramifications of it back in the writer's room if you haven't given the show that you know that your boss wants. Um, So I, I think you should honestly fearlessly stand up for that because that is 100% within your job description. And it, as well as talking with the writers, because the directors come and go, we're, you know, more or less substitute teachers. Um, but the writers are there and that's their show. And so I, I never think that you should be hesitant to defend your show, fight fight for your show or protect your show. But what, but what Hannah just suggested is brilliant because 
talking to the script supervisor and getting all making sure that you're not going to um, distract the director from something else that they're working on and making sure that you have all the information and stopping it before they move on. Because there's definitely been times where they are moving on. And even in, in, in uh, when I've stunt coordinated, when the director's moving on and the writer's like, but you didn't get most of what you we're going to get. So it, it is a dance and it, and it's, it's just about like, it's, it's, it's reading who you're working with and whether there's somebody who's open to it. And if they're not finding other ways to protect your work and the work of the show. That's great. There's such huge, very important advice. And, and hopefully all of you writers out there will get the opportunity to work with a director as amazing as America on set, because it's such a good experience. This has been so helpful and so awesome. I just wanted to ask one last thing, which is, um, I know that you have a nonprofit. Um, I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, nobody does. And nobody knows how to spell it either. We really need to work on our marketing. It's the Chimera Project is how we, how we say it. You know, it's based on the, the mythical um, being that wreaked havoc on the man's world back in ancient Greece. But, but also the idea that t- together we're stronger and, we, and we, we can create something that's ever been made before. Right now, we're offering, we're about to um, open a, a fund for uh, finishing funds for, for films and, and short films and things like that. We're about to launch that in a couple of months. Um, but we've also done a, a bunch of other things. And our, our ultimate hope is, is to create an incubator of sorts that's teaming up writers and directors and, and bringing to the world concepts that team people up from the beginning, um, specifically focusing on genre and sci-fi, because I really don't like it when people say women can't blank. Our, our goal is to take any time we've heard that and prove them wrong. Amazing. And you have a podcast of your own, right? Yes, I do. Oh, you're so good, Erica. Thank you. <laughs> our podcast, which feels like something that ties in so nicely with this podcast, is called Undiscovered Scripts, Movies Made of Paper. And we bring in a bunch of voiceover actors and we do table reads of the uh, of the scripts and then we add music and we add uh, sound effects and we do almost a full production, um, audio production of these scripts um, that are either undiscovered or completely unproducible, but are so brilliant. We needed to give a life somehow, even if it's just in the podcast phase. I love that. That's very cool. I love that idea. We will um, put some links to both the Chimera Project and um, your podcast because that's awesome. Thank you. And Eric, I don't feel I feel like I still didn't answer your question about the script. The the ones that I've connected to the most are the ones where it's just somebody's unique and wonderful voice that they let out and they were unafraid to share. So fearlessness is a good thing. Yeah, fearlessness and, and authenticity in terms of like your story and your voice and not being too afraid of what the industry tells you or doesn't tell you. You know, I, I think that's what's kind of refreshing and kind of interesting about the people who mess with the fonts as superficial as that is, is that there's there's kind of a fearlessness to it in terms of like, I'm going to stick to formatting and I'm going to keep in this in a professional thing, but I'm also just going to say this moment needs to be loud and you need to know it. You know, that kind of thing. Just just being as completely authentic and fearless in your writing, uh, which is really hard to do. Well, thank you for answering that. Again, thank you so much, America. This was awesome. Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's rare we get someone on here who can just beat the shit out of people. And uh, <laughs> love that. Yeah. <laughs> who's both so sweet and so lethal. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I don't think... Cobra yeah, Kai, I'm going to speak for Jess here, too. Can't, we can't beat anyone up, really. Um, <laughs> probably shouldn't. <laughs> but uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, you can always follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Untitled Female. Um, you can connect with us there, or you can send us an email at untitledfemaledrivenpodcast.gmail.com. We would love to hear uh, what you would like to hear us talk about. 
And um, if you've got a second, if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, we would be very grateful. And we hope to hear from you soon. And that's it. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.